Live from WNUR News, I'm Helen Bradshaw. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM HD1, Evanston, Chicago. The Women's Center's Mutual Aid Initiative. We prioritize and uplift Black, Indigenous, and people of color who are trans and gender not conforming in our work. The future of conservatism. Focusing too much on Trump, the person in particular, can sometimes, I think, lead us away from recognition of um, the true nature of our situation. Taylor Swift's re-recordings. But I also think that her vocals have definitely gotten more mature over the years, and you can definitely hear that. And the stigma of roosters in the backyard bird boom. While the roosters have better odds of survival outside of industrial agriculture, they still face significant stigma. Those stories tonight. Since the beginning of the pandemic over a year ago, mutual aid efforts have surged in response. Northwestern's Women's Center has been a part of that surge, and their work continues with a mutual aid interview series. Melissa Perry reports. Welcome everyone. The Women's Center, our annual theme for the year was mutual aid and community engagement. And over the next um, two weeks, we're hosting these interviews with local mutual aid efforts in Chicago. In honor of Women's History Month, Northwestern's Women's Center is hosting virtual interviews with leaders from various Chicago-based mutual aid and response groups. Melissa Steven, program coordinator of the Women's Center, says that the COVID-19 pandemic has ushered in a wave of mutual aid efforts that have highlighted the importance of community. A year ago, I guess now, when everything sort of kicked off, upon that happening, you know, we saw a lot of mutual aid efforts and groups and networks sort of um, proliferate out of that moment. This interview series that we've been doing for the past week and it's going to be continuing um, through next week as well. Um, we've been highlighting mutual aid efforts organizations collectives in Chicago who are um, just doing really rad work that we want to uplift. One of the featured organizations is Chicago Child Care Collective, a volunteer-based program that provides child care to parents who participate in social justice work. Nancy Anderson, a member of the collective since 2014, spoke to the Women's Center about their work. What makes this work special to you and the community that you serve? Childcare work is important. Um, it's important to our movements because it means that our organizing and social justice work is intergenerational. It includes kids, it includes caregivers, um, and it allows for kids to be part of our movements. Like That's really important to us, that kids are present in our movements. Um, I personally came to, child, to Chichico as a single mother of a young child and I found a lot of organizing spaces to be pretty adultist and at best sort of like tolerant of small kids. So what tends to happen is that caregivers just don't come anymore. They don't feel comfortable coming. And um, I see that as a loss to our to social justice work. Um, so the childcare that we provide, it is a reprieve for um, caregivers to focus on the racial and econ- economic justice that they're doing. Um, but we're also not trying to disappear kids from organizing spaces. Um, we provide childcare on site, and um, in most cases, the kids they move freely, sort of between like the childcare space and the meeting space. 
and that's that's by design. We want them to be present. Another featured interview in the Women's Center series was with Brittany Thomas from the Brave Space Alliance, an organization that provides valuable resources to Chicago's LGBTQ plus community. So we pride ourselves on having like culturally competent and affirming for us by us resources. And unlike a lot of LGBTQ plus centers that um, I've seen and, and worked with in the past, we prioritize and uplift um, Black, Indigenous, and people of color who are trans and gender non-conforming in our work. And although we like strive to serve the entire LGBTQ plus community, we have a focus on the South and West sides because a lot of the resources for LGBTQ plus individuals exist um, in, in except inaccessible areas um, that happen to be in more affluent neighborhoods where a lot of the more vulnerable and marginalized groups can't really access that easily. And so that's why we exist, to serve those who aren't being served in a lot of the community spaces that exist within Chicago. As more programming continues throughout the month of March at the Women's Center, Melissa says that they hope that participants feel inspired to take action and look for resource gaps within their own communities that need to be addressed. Well, I hope that folks can um, connect with either the mutual aid everything group that we're um, sort of uplifting in this moment or get inspired to start their own. And that's the whole thing about mutual aid is that, like, you don't, um, it's, it's supposed to be sort of, like, an every person thing. Like, anybody can do it. Anybody can get involved and start something you don't have to have any like certain um requirements or education levels or anything like that um and so i hope that folks feel inspired to take action and get involved locally um in mutual aid efforts that are happening already um and like also yeah start their own where they see some gaps but we are still like engaging with this theme um throughout the rest of the academic year and so um there are always going to be opportunities to sort of engage with this like content uh, at the Women's Center too. Thank you for listening. This is Melissa Perry, WNUR News. We may be over a month into Joe Biden's presidency, but Donald Trump's influence is far from gone. Reporter Angelina Campanile talks to Northwestern College Republicans about their recent event with conservative speaker Matthew Continetti to learn how he views the GOP after Trump's presidency. Last week, the Northwestern College Republicans hosted Matthew Continetti from the American Enterprise Institute. Continetti is a journalist, analyst, author, and historian. He studies the development of the Republican Party and the American conservative movement in the 20th century. Many conservatives are too involved and too interested in what's happening on their Twitter feeds or what they hear on talk radio or cable news than they are about uh, building an actual electoral and policy majority. NUCR's press secretary, Ryan Abbott, says the group's goal this year is to give students a diverse set of viewpoints. In fall 2019, the organization received major backlash from students after having former Attorney General Jeff Sessions speak on campus. It's not just uh, having our members speak to members of the left. It's also um, making those spaces for members of the left to hear from members of the right. We know that the majority of Northwestern tends to lean to the left. So if we can stimulate those good faith conversations about uh, conservative ideas, uh, we think the dialogue will be much better for that. 
So NUCR collaborated with the university's political union and invited Continetti, a conservative, to speak about the Republican Party post-Trump. We need to understand how much work lies ahead of us. Focusing too much on Trump, the person in particular, can sometimes, I think, um, lead us away from recognition of um, the true um, nature of our situation. But it's forgotten that to have a majority party, to win the presidency, not only through the Electoral College, but also with a popular vote mandate, which gives it a sense of legitimacy in the eyes of voters. Um, To recapture the Congress uh, requires building on the base. The GOP won the popular vote only once since 1988. Presidents George W. Bush and Donald Trump both won the presidency without winning the majority vote. Continetti says the GOP needs to figure out how they plan to win over the majority of Americans in 2024. You, you need to have the victories and the, and the legitimacy that comes with popular vote victories in order to enact a plausible conservative agenda. But what exactly is the conservative agenda today? After Trump became the face of the GOP in 2016, there's been an increase in internal party divisions. There are the extremes like Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, and there are the moderates like Senators Mitt Romney and Susan Collins. I caught up with Continetti before the event. What does the GOP stand for right now? Well, unfortunately, right now, um, the GOP is uh, pretty uh, committed to the person of Donald Trump. Um, And whatever he uh, stands for, uh, many Republicans, many conservatives simply follow. In the last couple years, and especially in the last months, after he lost the election, Donald Trump's personality has imprinted itself on the GOP uh, in a way that uh, is truly, uh, I believe, historically unprecedented. Continetti says that although Trump secured a passionate supporter base for the Republican Party, his post-election rhetoric spoiled any chances of running again for office. It unleashed a frenzy, uh, which culminated in the um, uh, just the, the heinous act of uh, January 6th and the storming of the Capitol. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Republican Party still hasn't recovered from any of those events. Um, and uh, we can see with uh, Trump's appearance at the Conservative Political Action Conference that it is still very much wedded to Trump. Trump rallied supporters at CPAC on February 28th. It was his first speech since Biden took office in January. Well, thank you very much, and hello, CPAC. Do you miss me yet? Do you miss me? Trump said he has no plans to launch a new political party, but hinted at running for office again in 2024. Who knows? I may even decide to beat them for a third time, okay? I don't think it's a sure bet at this moment that he would win the nomination, but it would certainly cause uh, chaos for the Republican Party because... Uh, Trump is uh, deeply, deeply unpopular uh, with the American people. Uh, by mm-hmm. the time he left the presidency, the Republicans had lost the House, the Senate, and the presidency. That's the first time that's happened in the four years uh, since Herbert Hoover. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think he continues to be a liability in a lot of ways for the Republicans. NUCR's Ryan Abbott says the GOP should find a nominee to continue Trump's conservative agenda, but with a more agreeable temperament. 
more interesting question is whether uh, President Biden will be running again in 2024. I'm not I'm not completely certain if, if that's going to happen. And so the question might become who has the best chance against um, Vice President Harris. I think the country is long overdue for a true clash of ideas and uh, I, I value that more than any side winning. Abbott says the future of the GOP depends on the party's willingness to negotiate in the Senate and not filibuster every bill House Democrats send to the chamber. You can meet members of the Northwestern College Republicans tonight at 7 p.m. Central over Zoom. They'll be at an event hosted by the Northwestern Political Union. You can find more details on Facebook. For WNUR News, I'm Angelina Campanile. In 2019, music producer Scooter Braun obtained the rights to Taylor Swift's first six albums, including her most popular album of all time, Fearless. Fans were outraged, but Swift's recent announcement about re-recording her albums may provide some relief. Margot Milanowski speaks with Northwestern students to find out more. After years of trying to gain ownership over her first five albums, singer Taylor Swift has chosen to re-record them instead beginning with the album Fearless. A single off the album, Love Story, has already been re-recorded and released, marking Taylor's first release of her old content. I spoke to a few Northwestern students about these re-recordings. First year, Georgia Siemens talks about how important these re-releases are for Taylor. When Taylor Swift was growing up making music and putting out albums, she didn't have exclusive ownership over over, over her music and um, the types of things she could produce and the types of things that she could put out there. And so this re-recording is a way of her um, owning all of her music again um, and remaking it decade, you know, a decade later almost, you know? Um, so as to claim her own music and have it in her own possession, meaning that she has sole ownership of its production, distribution, etc. The actual song that Taylor recorded is the same but fans have noticed many differences between the original and the re-recording. It's obviously the same song and it has a bit of the same, um, they did the same arrangements and stuff, but her voice is so much more mature. I mean, obviously your voice is gonna sound different when you're a teenager making music and then when you know, you're an adult and you have you know, so much more experience performing on stage, you know, doing live performances, et cetera. Um, but I did notice that her voice is deeper, more mature. It sounds much more like, I would say, what we saw in Folklore and Evermore. That kind of deeper, more, um, I don't know, reflective voice, the background vocals. Um, in the past, you know, in the first release, it wasn't her. But in this re-recording, it is her. Another Northwestern fan, Jane Wirtle, spoke about the differences she has noticed. Um, I think in terms of the old one, the guitar is a lot more prominent. And I think the the genre or the style of music was much different um, back in 2008, I guess that was. Uh, I think the music was louder in contrast to her voice. Um, but I also think that her vocals have definitely gotten more mature over the years and you can definitely hear that there's less of the country twang there's less of you know the kind of higher pitch her voice is kind of sunken a little bit gotten more mature both fans spoke about what these songs mean to themselves too 
I kind of like the old one also, just because I feel like it's got that youthful, like fun and it's kind of nostalgic for me. I grew up listening to it, um, but I still love the new one. I think that it's great and I, I love it for her, but I think I like the old one better for me. <laughs> For our age group, for Gen Z, you know, we grew up listening to Taylor Swift in middle school and early high school. That's when a lot of this stuff came out um, for some of us, even elementary school. And to listen to those songs again in new form when both Taylor and we are more mature and older and, you know, wiser, probably. I don't know. It's just so cool to see. I think that this is like a new reflective era for her you know, especially as she's now in her 30s. Um, but I don't know, I'm just really excited about the re-recordings and what's to come because I just know that even though it's the same songs and I still know all the lyrics and whatever, it's going to sound different because she's a different person and like I'm a different person. For WNUR News, I'm Marco Milanowski. The COVID-19 pandemic has changed more than just our own lives as we know it. With so much more time spent at home, backyard chicken business is booming but that may come at the cost of roosters along the way. Thomas Goodwin has the story. Known for its distinctive crow, roosters are one of the most abused and least understood animals in the world. Most male chicks are actually killed immediately after hatching. Those that do survive face an uphill battle. However, here in the Windy City, where keeping roosters is completely legal, these often unwanted male chickens have found a staunch ally in the Chicago Roo crew. They're absolutely amazing. I mean, anyone who's had one, who really spent the time to get to know one, will learn very quickly how affectionate and how loving and loyal they are as companions. And they suffer from a tremendous stigma. Fundamentally, roosters are the worst treated land animal on the planet. That's Julia Magnus, an organizer and founding member of the female-led rooster rescue organization, the Chicago Roo Crew. So, Julia, why do most roosters not survive into adulthood? backyard chickens. Although roosters have better odds of survival outside of industrial agriculture, they still face significant stigma. Here's Shannon Kenny. She owns chickens in Homer Glen, just southwest of Chicago. Roosters only crow at certain times of the day, but dogs bark all of the time. So I think it's kind of crazy that there's such a stigma against roosters, but not against having dogs. Magnus says she agrees with that comparison. I mean, even pit bulls, which are some of the most pejoratized animals, are not treated that way, and we think it's fundamentally unfair. The stigma is reflected in laws that ban roosters in municipalities across the United States. For example, when Kenny bought six Easter egger chicks in March of 2020, right before everybody started getting chickens because of the pandemic that they were born, she had to rehome one who turned out to be a boy, as roosters are not legal in Homer Glen. Although chicks can be bought sexed or unsexed, many first-time chicken parents don't realize that it's near impossible to know for sure until they grow a little older. Kenny says she found a forever home for Petruchio, 
formerly Katarina, near Kankakee, Illinois, about 60 miles south of Chicago, by using a Facebook group. However, lately, Facebook has been enforcing a ban on live animal transactions on the social network. That's Kara Morales, who keeps over 30 hens near Juliet, Illinois, and one rooster who... He's named after Beer. He's IPA. We've had him for so long, and he's just such a great rooster. After Morales bought six unsexed chicks, she decided to rehome the other three males in IPA's brood, a few of which acted aggressive towards humans. Yet, Morales says she had doubts about the new home of her more aggressive boys. I had thought that, that there were some that were going for fighting, and what made you think that? She was just very like, I'm not coming down, I'll take them out. <laughs> it was just kind of bizarre for me, because she really honestly like didn't care. <laughs> so I was like, oh no, what did I just do? I probably just sent them off to their death. Since the beginning of the Chicago Rue crew, less than three years ago, there have been two major cockfighting ring busts in the Windy City. First, 114 birds were liberated from fighting in June of 2018, which Magnus says served as an impetus to form the Chicago Rue crew. Everybody just sort of came together around that, and all of the 114 birds ended up being placed. Then a second bust of 26 birds early last year before the pandemic. Both of those rooster fighting operations were based out of the West Englewood neighborhood in Chicago's south side. Chicago Animal Care and Control spokesperson Jenny Schleuder says the Herculean efforts to rehome and rehabilitate ex-fighter roosters were certainly not in vain. In most municipal shelters, when they do a, a cockfighting bus, I mean, all the animals just come in and are immediately euthanized. So we're pretty proud that we've been able to work with our partners to save all, all of the roosters and get them rehabilitated. By the way, the breeds of Morales' roosters that she thought might have been going for fighting in Chicago were not among those rescued in those cockfighting busts. The Chicago Roo Crew currently has around 30 active members. Many of them are fostering roughly 25 total roosters at any given time. Many of those birds were dumped, and because chickens are completely domesticated, they cannot survive in the wild. Magnus says chickens, including those up for adoption right now, make great house pets and are better pets than parrots, which are considered a feral animal. In Evanston, Illinois, I'm Thomas Goodwin, WNUR News. Do the sunny skies mean no more snow ahead? Here's Nick's song with this week's weather. For fair weather transplants living in the Midwest, like yours truly, it's been a long and cold winter. But look on the bright side. Things are looking pretty warm for Monday and Tuesday. Expect it to be pleasant, with temperatures reaching the mid-60s. Wednesday will continue being mild, but from the evening through Thursday, expect sporadic showers and even a possible thunderstorm. By the weekend, temperatures are expected to drop down to the mid-40s. Keep a jacket nearby for Sunday, which should have a low of 26 degrees. With the weather and 4WNUR News, I'm Nick Song. That's all for the WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other stories of the day on our Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and online at WNUR.org. On behalf of our producer, Olivia Lloyd, 
Reporters Melissa Perry, Angelina Campanile, Margo Milanowski, Thomas Goodwin, and Nick Song, as well as all of us here at WNUR News, I'm Helen Bradshaw. Thank you for joining us tonight. Now, back to scheduled programming.